Hello and welcome back to another episode of Losing Part of Me. In this episode, I wanted to try and give you some explanation or thoughts as to what eventually got me to stop, because I think that that feels like a the kind of magic pill that everybody wants to take. It's like, well, what did you do? How did you stop? It's like when someone loses weight that you immediately go, well, what food did you eat? But unfortunately, it's never as easy as that, obviously, especially with something like an addiction. It's incredibly difficult to get to the point of stopping. And even when you stop, the stopping part is just as hard as as having the addiction. So I've tried to put some notes together and some thoughts together about what I can share with you about some of the things that led to me finally coming to that point of stopping. And I I just want to say that I say now that it almost felt like the stars aligned, the planets moved, something miraculous happened and I was able to stop on that day. And part of me genuinely feels that if I take a drink again, that that will be it. I have my one and only chance to stop and I have and I can't risk ever drinking again. So what actually got me to stop? Well, I think I need to go back a bit. My uh, mum passed away about or almost four years ago now. And I'm obviously recording this in the beginning of 2024. And I thought I was fine. I obviously went into overdrive of organising things, doing things. I remember I uh, my mum had passed away and within a couple of weeks before the funeral, and bearing in mind it was during the COVID lockdown and obviously we couldn't have a normal funeral and any of that. And basically... Um, I ended up in hospital like a week before her funeral because I had an appendicitis and I remember leaving hospital the day before her funeral and saying to the nurses, am I going to be able to drink tomorrow? And obviously I gave them the reason of it's my mum's funeral. But again, it was like my first thought on my head, could I drink? Anyway, I could and I would have probably done anyway, whether they had said I could or couldn't. And... She passed away in the July and by October time, I was still not right. I thought I was fine, but I have a very close friend who's actually doing an interview for this um, podcast called Mary, who was my coach at the time. And Mary said to me, I think you need some therapy. I think you need to speak to someone. So I started therapy in that October. So that was October 2020. And... I started having therapy and I'd literally just searched someone on the internet and given the fact that I'm in marketing, I liked the fact that this person had a website and a photo and various things. And the reason I started therapy was because my mum had died very suddenly. I had a interesting, I think that's as much as I want to say about it, relationship with my mum and I just wasn't managing very well. But one of the things that I probably need to share is that prior to this, prior to any of this, I had started reading books on addiction and alcohol and various other things. So 
prior to 2020, I knew deep down there was a problem. But what was interesting was to begin with in therapy, I never talked about it. I didn't bring it up. I might have occasions gone. I don't feel great because I drank too much last night. But it wasn't, I never brought it to the conversation as here's a problem. Now, when I first started therapy, my therapist said to me, how long do you think, you know, do you have an idea in mind of to what you think we need to work together for? And I said to her, which was very different from me from a few years back, that I guess we just needed to see how it goes because, you know, I'm not expecting for you to fix me in like five minutes. So we always knew it'd be a kind of longer term relationship. And we were working on all sorts of stuff and I was starting to feel a bit better about what had happened to mum. And there's something really, really devastating about losing your mum, regardless of the relationship you have with them, because they're your mum and that person's there to love you unconditionally, regardless of anything else. And when you lose that, it really is a bit of a pull. And anyway, so we were dealing with all of that and as time rolled on easily a year or so, it started to get obvious that there was more to my drinking than just I like to drink. And I guess I started to bring in conversations around, I probably drink a bit too much, I need to curb it a bit, and but I don't want to stop. I was very adamant, I do not want to stop. I wanted to be able to still drink, but I wanted to be able to control it. And during this time, I was still trying to control it. I was, and I've talked on other episodes about, you know, all the things I tried to do to to manage it and to have some kind of control over how much I drank. Anyway, as time went on, some of the key things that we worked on were things like how I treated myself. I treated myself really, really badly. I spoke to myself like dirt, worse than dirt. I was horrible to myself. And it was constantly a thing that my therapist was kind of slowing me down on and going, you just said that about yourself and, you know, you shouldn't basically. And and constantly trying to bring me more love and love myself more. So as all this was going on, I was still continuing to read and listen to books and podcasts and things, even though I wasn't necessarily always taking this to therapy and having these conversations in therapy. But as time rolled on, I I got more and more honest and she was able to be more and more honest with me and I was able to take it. So I think if she had said to me in the very first place, okay, I think we need to look at the drinking because I think it's a problem, I'd have shut it down and I'd have finished working with her. However, after a year, a year and a half, it was really like, it was a much better position for her to have that conversation with me. So I think that's one of the first things in terms of helping me to stop was working with someone who was able to not only give me therapy, but also identify that there was a problem without or having the understanding, I guess, of when to approach it and how to approach it, because I would have shut her down if she'd done it too soon. But there's a couple of other things that for me were really, really helpful. And again, they hurt, they were things that I worked on in therapy, but it's definitely something that you could work on yourselves anyway, but it's not easy again. 
It's the fact of giving myself love and having love and respect for myself. One of the things that I think was so, so key was having some empathy for myself. I remember a few years back, my therapist saying to me, we were actually talking about drinking and eating gluten because I can't eat gluten. And yet I was, and I was getting drunk and then having some toast. And I remember her saying to me, it's not your fault. And I listened to what she said and I didn't take it in. In fact, I said to her, if anything, I will use this against me. So I will turn around and say, I can drink as much as I want and eat as much as I want because it's not my fault. And almost use that as my permission because I didn't understand. Of course it was my fault. How couldn't it be my fault? One of the conversations that have come up with people that know me well is that I am very, very good at having a goal and going for it. I can focus really well. I'm very determined. I'm almost bloody minded in some cases, right the way back to being at school and my mum having to go into school and telling them to back off with the homework because I was too much in it and I was making myself ill. Within my business and my career, again, I was super driven, super single-minded and I could go and get things and do things. And one thing that people never understood was why couldn't I translate that into drinking? Now, not that anybody said to me, particularly, you drink too much because boy, the fuck you, Teresa, would have come out in force and I'd have drank myself into an early grave at that point, I'm sure. But they couldn't understand why I could be so strong and so determined and so motivated with one thing and yet I couldn't with something else and neither could I. I couldn't understand why I couldn't translate that across. I knew I had it in me. So why was this so, so difficult? And the problem is, and the thing that I was doing is every time I tried to stop or every time I tried to control it, I would just beat myself around the head and I had no sympathy for myself. I was angry at myself. I was frustrated that I couldn't do this. Why couldn't I just fix this? Why couldn't I just stop? Also, when I started therapy, one of the things that we talked a lot about was little Teresa's. And I want you to kind of bear with me here if this sounds a little bit odd, but I promise you this was a game changer for me. There's many different theories around this, that we have different parts of us. And this theory really helped me to start to understand why I was doing such destructive behaviours. So what my therapist was able to do was almost map out with me the parts of Teresa that would show up at different parts. So for instance, we would be talking about something and she would go, that doesn't sound like adult Teresa saying that. That sounds like a much younger part. And sometimes if I would get frustrated or angry, that would be covering up how upset I was. And when we slowed down and started to think and feel, often it would come from a younger part of me. 
when I was defensive and angry and frustrated and the fuck you Teresa would come out, she was the one who, when she was young, she had to fight really hard for attention. She had to fight really hard to be seen. And she was the one who, when maybe she wasn't being given attention, stood up and fought to get it. Understanding that one, sometimes my reactions don't come from a grown-up place. That was so enlightening. When I got frustrated as to why I behaved in an addictive way, I could understand that actually the younger part of me who just wants to feel safe or just wants to feel happy or just wants to hide from those feelings, that that's perfectly understandable why a younger version of me would not cope with that. And the adult version of me was nowhere to be seen at those times. That was that was one thing that was really big for me. And and I would like you to maybe, you know, explore this a little bit because actually what happened was instead of seeing these parts as destructive or frustrating or annoying, I could start to understand why they appeared and how they helped me. So the fuck you, Teresa, was there because she gave me strength when no one else believed in me or when no one was on my side. And she enabled me to do really amazing things. I wouldn't have started my business without her. I wouldn't have achieved half the stuff I've achieved because like I said, someone might say to me, you can't or not give me any, uh, I don't know, positive support around doing something and then the fuck you Teresa would come out and go you watch me so instead of thinking god I wish she wasn't there because she's the one who goes I'm not going to drink tonight and then when I take one drink she goes screw it let's go crazy instead of being angry at her I was able to go thank you because without you I couldn't have done these other things but then I could understand that actually at certain points, the adult Teresa would need to take over and go, I appreciate what you're trying to do for me. I appreciate that you are stepping in and trying to fight through something or, you know, keep me strong in some way. But actually, you don't need to in this case. And I've got it. And that and I know I'm not explaining it brilliantly. And actually, this episode of all of them, I'm I'm worried about because some of these things that I learn are so, so fundamental to my recovery that I want to be so much better than I am being in terms of explaining them. And obviously I'm not the expert in them. I've been on the receiving end of them. So if you do want to go find out more, I think the one book's called Internal Family Systems that talks about this. So maybe go and have a read of that. Like I said, that theory, that kind of work that I did around that was a huge, huge shift for me. Really, really helped. Alongside finding this empathy and love for myself that I don't think I had previously, I managed to read a book that really, really helped me shift. Now, this book is called The Realm of Hungry Ghosts by Gabor Mate. And I asked Gabor to come on the podcast, but he is pretty big deal. Um, in fact, a few weeks before I asked him, he interviewed Prince Harry. So, you know, I was pushing my luck, but you've got to give it a go. Anyway, I am going to do probably a pretty terrible job of explaining what helped me from his book. But again, please go and check out his book. And if anybody knows Gabor 
and he would be open to a conversation with me, I would love that in a heartbeat. So in order to kind of have a conversation about what I learned in his book and, and other books, but his was really, really stood out to me. And in fact, it was my therapist who recommended this to me. She read it and then she said to me, I'm reading this book and it's pretty heavy going, but I think I might want you to read it. Let me finish it and then I'll say whether it's a yes or a no. And that's what she did. And I did read it and it blew my mind. So he defines addiction. And I think, you know, it's kind of funny that we've got to this stage in the interview, and um, not interview, sorry, in the podcast. And I haven't actually talked about what addiction is defined as. But he defines addiction um, as a pattern or behavior that you crave that gives you temporary pleasure or relief in the short term, but a negative consequence in the long term that you're still persistent despite those negative consequences. So the one thing that he talks about is first off, the word drug is not in there at all. The word alcohol is not in there. So addiction isn't the thing that you're addicted to. So in the past, I haven't been as bad as I have been with alcohol. However, I have had other things that I have done that brought me temporary pleasure and then were really destructive. Um, which then made me go, okay, well, this is, this is an addiction. This isn't just me liking alcohol a lot. Unfortunately, the two together are not a great combination. So I just want to take a minute to to read that to you again, because I think this is super, super important. So addiction is a pattern of behavior that you crave that gives you temporary pleasure or relief in the short term, but negative consequences in the long term, and yet you still persist. So that could be anything. That could be spending too much through shopping. That could be eating too much. That could be sugar craving. That could be gaming, that can be porn, it could be anything. Mine just happened to be alcohol. But I think this really summed it up for me in terms of, I've mentioned before, I don't like the term alcoholic, I don't choose to call myself that. But when I read that statement, or when I see what that says, I go, yeah, that was me. I was getting temporary pleasure and relief in the short term, but overall, it was negative for me in the long term. And even, I'm not even talking like liver disease or, you know, putting on weight or, or the effect it had on my health in years to come. I'm talking like within the hours of starting to drink and then getting drunk and then starting a fight with my husband. So for me, I just want you to think about that, that if there is something that you are having that gives you that temporary pleasure or relief in that short term, but you know, in the long term, it's causing you negative consequences, then I'm not saying that you're an addict. I'm just saying that maybe it's worth thinking about that. So that's what he describes as addiction. But one of the things that he talks about is where that maybe comes from and why we might do these things. And he bought to me, because I had not heard of this before, the concept that addiction isn't something to do with, you know, our genes or our willpower or anything like that. 
It's actually to do with how our brain is formed. And this, for me, was the catalyst that finally got me to go. It's not my fault. And being able to to do that, I think, was one of the biggest things that got me to actually have that empathy for me that allowed me to stop. I'm going to try really hard to give you um, some notes out of his stuff because like I said it's really really powerful but if you can and you know want to go and read it please do go and read his book. So he talks about that uh, in our brain we like endorphins obviously so endorphins come in and make us feel good and it's the love hormone hormone and all of those sorts of things and dopamine is a part of that. So when you get a dopamine hit, you get those endorphins and you feel good. And what he says is that in people with addiction, this doesn't function as it should. So already the normal level that, or the normal kind of process of getting those endorphins and getting that dopamine isn't working out how it should be in someone with addiction. And the reason he believes this is because of some trauma as a child. Now, when you listen to the interview with my dear friend, Mary, we talk specifically about trauma and she shares with you the big T and the little T trauma. And because I had never had, well, I guess my understanding of trauma was the really big T trauma. And at that point, I didn't identify any of that with me. But Gabor talks about just trauma in general, and it doesn't have to be this big T trauma. It can be little T trauma, like not being given enough attention, like not um, by having a parent who is there, but not present, i.e. not meeting some of your needs. And this can happen really early on. He also talks about this happening in the womb, which to me was mind-boggling, but he talks about the fact of something has happened to us which has meant our brain has formed in a different way. So not only has it formed in a different way and it struggles to get that dopamine and that endorphin, so then when we find something, and in my case it was alcohol, that gives us that endorphins or gives us that dopamine, that first off, we need more than maybe normal because our brain isn't quite working in the same way. Our brain now has this addictive kind of pattern in it or this addictive, you know, uh, propensity to be addicted to things. But then what happens over time with these dopamine hits is the more that you have them, the weaker they get. And again, I am probably doing a terrible job of explaining this. So like if I am, please bear with me. But basically, the more I drank, the lesser effect it had. And a lot of the books I read, one of them was um, The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. And one of the things that she said, and in some of the AA meetings I went to that they kind of concurred with, was I didn't do something until I did. Or following a sentence by yet. So one of the things that she said was, I didn't drink in the morning until I did. And obviously, 
what was helpful to me is that I could start to see that I, you know, we were getting worse. We were drinking more. I was having more. It took more for me to have some of the same effects as, you know, maybe a year before. And that's because the more we do it, the more we build up this tolerance and the more we need. So that for me really, really helped me finally go, it isn't my fault. And when I could actually admit and believe wholeheartedly that this was not my fault, I felt like I could start to recover and I felt like I could start to to actually have the empathy I needed to love myself, to go, we need to, to do something about this. We need to, to start to fix this. There are a million different books that I read and I will happily share them over on Instagram. But for me, The Realm of Hungry Ghosts honestly was life-changing because it gave me some science behind something that where previously I was so angry and I was so frustrated and I shamed myself regularly on why can't you just do this? What is wrong with you? Just have one glass of wine. Everyone else can do it. Why can't you? And when I read his book, I remember breaking down and crying with my therapist talking about, it's not my fault. This isn't my fault. And having that understanding honestly changed everything for me. I hope I've given you a little bit of an idea of some of the science behind it. Like I said, I am not an expert and I would love you to go and check out Gabor's book. This stuff's hard and the more empathy we can give ourselves and the more understanding we can have as to why we behave in the way we do, I think gives us one step closer to actually stopping So I am sending you so much love. You've got this.